Open up your Bible with me to the book of Jonah. It's one of the, it's one of the 12 minor prophets. It's number five of your minor prophets. So go to Daniel. You can usually find Daniel. That's 12 chapters towards the middle of your Bible. Turn right. And once you get to Daniel, go forward about five books. You'll come to Jonah, Howard Johnson and Orange Juice. That's Jonah. That'll get you there. In my Bible, it's on page 983. Maybe that will help you. This is much more than a story of a big fish. This is what we've been talking about of, of, over the last couple of weeks recently. We've been, we've been trying to focus on this, this message that God gave to us. Jonah is a unique prophet because his book, his prophecy, is a narrative. All the other prophets, they contain narrative. Now, what narrative means is a story. But when I say story, it doesn't mean it's made up. This is a real historical event. It's the account of a real historical event. And what makes Jonah different than the other prophets is it's a narrative. It gives us the story of Jonah. And from it, we learn about God, and we learn about man, and we learn about ourselves, and we learn about salvation. And today, we're going to learn about the miracle of God working in a human soul. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 3 today, and, and this is like, this should be like a highlight reel in your life. As we read this, you should be like welling up with excitement. Now, today's Super Bowl Sunday, I think, right? I got to confess, I have not watched not one minute of football this whole season. Now, if you knew what kind of a football fan I used to be, you would realize how shocking that is. I have no explanation. When I was a kid, I, uh, I, I, loved to play, I loved to watch football. Now, my father was a busy man, and I really don't remember him throwing a football to me. But I would do this thing out in my front yard, and I'm sure if you saw me, you probably would laugh at me. I was a huge Pittsburgh Steeler fan. Is our Steeler fan already in? He's already left. There's a couple of them here, but I looked for a jersey. Yeah, huge Pittsburgh Steeler fan. I jumped on the bandwagon in 1976. Steeler fans should know that was a significant year. Okay, Lynn Swan, Terry Bradshaw, John Stallworth, Benny Cunningham. Don't make me go through the whole roster because I can, okay? And I would do this thing in my yard. I, we lived in a small rancher. And with no kind of porch or anything, just a, just a straight roof. And I would, I would be out in my yard with a football, and I would throw it up on the rancher, okay, and I'd go up on the roof and bounce around, and I, then I would run and be a receiver. So I was both Terry Bradshaw and Lynn Swan. And I would throw the ball and run, and I was always trying to, to do... Remember that play? Remember that Lynn Swan moment? Do you remember it? When he jumped up in the air, Dallas Cowboys, 1976, Super Bowl. Anybody else remember this? And the ball bounced around, and Swan came down with it. Remember that moment? And we watch that now, and it's like, you just well up with excitement when you see it. Now, maybe you're not a Steeler fan. Maybe you don't go back that far. Maybe you go further, Joe Namath, 1969. Here's the quote. I got news for you. We're going to win the game. I guarantee it. Did anybody, does anybody remember that happening? Were you there? Oh, a few of you, yeah. Maybe for you it's Scott Norwood, Buffalo Bills, 1991. Wide right. Remember he missed the field goal? Adam Vinatieri, 48-yard field goal at the end of the game to win. Maybe it's Russell Wilson. Remember when he threw the interception at the goal line? He's got Marshall Lynch in the, back, in the backfield. He doesn't give him the ball. He tries, he tries to pass it. Interception. They lose. 
Maybe it's that Ty, Tyrell or Tyree, whatever, that guy, that giant that caught the ball on top of his head. Remember that? Eli Manning throws the ball, ball on top of his head and he catches it. We watch these moments and we get excited. Now, let me read to you a Super Bowl moment as a follower of Christ. When perhaps the most reluctant prophet in all the Bible goes to the most wicked place in all the world at the time and shares the gospel, and there is a response that brings about arguably the greatest revival in all of history. Now, if you get excited by Vinatieri's kick or Swan's catch or Eli Manning's throw, we should get excited by this. Because those are exciting moments. This is an exciting eternity. Jonah 3, verse number 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. Nineveh, a wicked place. That great city. And call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Remember that word? I'm going to tell you something about it in just a minute. Exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. So he went a day of the three. You might think he's a third of the way across the city, maybe. I don't know. But on the first day, he called out. I'm reading it again. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Stop for just a minute. Swan is batting the ball around. Okay? Eli Manning has thrown the pass. The receiver goes up. It's stuck on his head. Adam Vinatieri, the clock is ticking down. Three, two, one. He kicks. The ball is in the air. What's going to happen? You're on the edge of your seat. You, the room is quiet. Everyone's there. Mouth open. Popcorn in your hand. <gasps> What's going to happen? And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Pause for just a minute. See, part of the problem is, culturally, this is so weird to us. He's sitting in ashes? What is sackcloth? What is going on here? It's so strange to us that we don't really understand what's happening. These people just got saved. A miracle has occurred. A dead person, a dead city is now alive. There are people that are going to be in heaven for eternity because of this, because of this change. There's been a birth, a rebirth. Don't let the sackcloth and ashes distract you. This is them expressing their remorse, the repentance. They've turned to God. 
And now it's going to be explained a little bit more. Verse number 7. The king issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. And here it is. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Now it's getting relevant. Sackcloth, ashes, beast, fasting. Huh? I get that. I understand that. This is 2,700 years ago. Do you hear that number? This is a long time ago. Things are different, but some things are exactly the same. They called out mightily to God. And listen what they said when they called out. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. I had to underline that in my Bible. That's, that's the moment. That's it. Reception. Field goal. Touchdown. It's happened. Verse number 9, who knows? This is the king talking. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to review where we've been to kind of catch you up. But I need, we need to understand repentance is what we're seeing here. Repentance is what we're seeing live action photos of now, okay? And this is a miracle. This is a miracle. And this is not a decision towards morality. This is not a community that said, we're going to now be moral. We're going to now, you know, follow the rules, follow the laws. That's not repentance. Repentance is not a new effort towards morality. If you're now sitting here thinking, yes, Lowell, tell us not to lie, tell us not to steal, tell us not to kill, and I'll tell you all that, but a decision to not do that is not repentance. That's not what repentance is. It's not a new effort towards morality. It's not I'm going to be a better good or better boy or a better girl. That's not what it is. There is a change, a miraculous change that has happened here. And listen, it's significant. Let me show you a verse that is an ample warning for us that sets the context for what Jonah is doing here. It's in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is what is in Jonah's heart. And more important than that, this is what is in God's heart. Repentance. Notice notice the binary choice here. Repentance is the only escape from perishing. Whatever this repentance is, it is the only escape from perishing. This is God's word here. This isn't me. This is God. He says, he doesn't wish that any would perish, door number one, but that all should reach repentance, door number two. This is why Jonah has been sent to Nineveh. 
This is why you've been sent to Berkeley County or wherever it is that you live and breathe and have your being. Because there are two choices. And you know what perish means. Let me just remind you, this is a bit of review from last week. Perish is described in the Bible with expressions like this, weeping and gnashing of teeth. The worm does not die where fire is not quenched, outer darkness, no rest day or night, eternal fire prepared for the devil. Two choices. That's why it's so important. And it's why we must communicate Jesus' message. Again, a little bit of review from last week. We're trying to get to the Jonah 3 passage. We've got to lay some groundwork. We talked about the commission. It's, a, it's a, like a five-fold mosaic is shared in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. All share Jesus' great commission. We talked about how each of them tell us a different thing about what God wants us to do and how he wants us to do it. The model, the method, the goal, the mission. But this passage, Luke, is the only one that tells us the message. Here is what we are to proclaim. Put it up on the screen for me. Look what it says here. This is the message of what, that we must take to the world so that they no longer perish but come to repentance and have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus opened their mind in our scripture. He said, thus it is written, that Christ should suffer. That's the cross. On the third day, rise from the dead. That's resurrection. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed or preached. Repentance. Listen, this is what the gospel is. This is what the gospel must have. The cross, the resurrection, and repentance for forgiveness. So this is what we've been dealing with, and let's go to Jonah now and and see it kind of lived out. Repentance demonstrated. Okay? Starts in verse number 1, and it's interesting. It begins in the heart of Jonah. Look with me at Jonah 3.1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So God has spoken to Jonah, and listen, don't get the idea that Jonah and God had this audible, ongoing conversation all the time. That's not how it worked. God comes to him now supernaturally, okay? He did this with these Old Testament prophets. Hebrews says this is how he used to work. Now he works through the Word of God. He comes to Jonah, though, in a special act of grace and gives him another opportunity. What's Jonah going to do? What did he do the first time? Jumped in a boat and went in the opposite direction. So you don't know what's going to happen. Pretend you're reading it for the first time. What's he going to do? Listen, understand just briefly, just briefly here. Jonah is representing one of the reasons why God allowed this to happen and recorded it. Jonah is representing the Israel nation. They have been... They've been called to be a witness to the whole world, to the ends of the earth, and they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. So what God would bring struggle and suffering to them to try to make them right, wake them up. And they continue to say no. And God has called us, the church, to go to the ends of the earth. Jonah represents Israel. It's a picture of the church if we aren't careful. We're to go 
This time he did. He went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Just real quickly, that word exceeding there, this is so interesting. There are so many literary dynamics in the book of Jonah, and I won't bore you with much of it, but I'll say this. You'll get this. That word exceedingly, you know what it is in Hebrew? You know this word. And this is very confusing to most biblical scholars. It's the word Elohim. Now, Elohim, as you know, is the name of God. It literally says, Elohim's great city. It's almost like the Lord said, I'm going to reach this place. And so, translators don't know how to express this. They say, what does this mean? We're just going to say exceedingly great. It's a great city of God. He's going to reach these people. God's going to do a miracle. We're going to see him show up here in this city. So what we're seeing here is the obedience of the prophet. He goes out and does what God called him to do. He goes into the city. He goes a day's journey. He calls out. He preaches what is recorded here is a five-word sermon. But we know it was more than that. We know it was more than that from the response. But all the Hebrew records is five words. So I think the whole idea here is we're supposed to understand what Jonah thought was going to happen. Yet 40 days, it says... And Nineveh shall be overthrown. Another word play here. This word can mean turn or overturned. It can mean either thing. So Jonah goes into the city and says, Nineveh, better, better, you got 40 days, you guys, because you're either going to turn or be overturned. I think Jonah, fooled, well, we know. He records, he tells us later. He is expecting a Sodom and Gomorrah type of a moment. He's looking forward to seeing the, the, you know, just the firestorm of God's judgment poured upon Nineveh. At the, end of, at the end of this passage, when we get into chapter 4, Jonah's up on the hillside watching and waiting. Come on, God, wipe them out. Not revealing the character of God at all. Little does Jonah know that God is going to perform a miracle, the miracle of regeneration. Verse number five. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Now listen, that word believed God, that doesn't mean, this means more than they just believed what they just heard. This doesn't mean that they believed that the city is going to be overturned alone. So how do you know that? This is the exact same word believed God used in Genesis chapter 15, verse number 6, when it said that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Quoted in Romans 4, quoted in James. It is an Old Testament expression for somebody got saved. That's what it means. It means rather than believing on themselves, they believed on God. The people of Nineveh, now this doesn't mean every single person necessarily. It doesn't say every single person, but there was a revival that happened. And they believed God. And when we believe God, when we believe what he has told us about himself, about, about us, about how we get a relationship with him, when we believe that, he credits us with righteousness. In Genesis 15, verse number 6, that word credited Abram with righteousness is an accounting term. It's like somebody stole your bank book, if you still had those. Remember when you were a kid? Remember that little bank book? You would take it to the bank and hand it to them in the window, and they would write down $25, and they would add $25. Most of you don't know what I'm talking about. 
But there was a time when you had a bank book and people would write in it. Remember? Imagine them taking that bank book and writing in it unlimited funds. There you go, sir. Have a good day, little boy. And you walk away with your bank book. That's what this word means in Genesis 15. Credited him with righteousness. This is a miracle, folks. It's regeneration. What's the word regeneration mean? Well, when Jesus tried to describe it, he called it born again. Now, have you heard that word so many times that it is lost? It's glamour. In John chapter 3, when it's first used, Jesus expresses it to a man named Nicodemus. He says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, huh? What? Does my mom have to give birth to me all over again? Is that what you're saying? Because that's weird. Now, that's a major paraphrase, okay? But it's basically what Nicodemus said. And the point of this is this is radical. You see, this is not a minor moral improvement. If you think we're here so that you'll be better or good or a little bit better or a little bit gooder, if that were really a word, you're missing it. You don't understand what Christianity is, and you need to wake up. This is a whole new life because we're born dead. Ephesians 2, we're born dead in our sins. And when God regenerates us, it's a miracle that you and I can't do. This is his city. This is God's city. He's going to do a miracle here and bring people to life. Now, people try to figure out, like, what caused this revival? And it's interesting to see people try to explain it. Like, people who study the Bible but don't really believe it. You know these people exist, right? There are people that it's their job to study the Bible, and they don't believe it. Can you imagine a more pointless existence than that? And these scholars, and listen, they're smart, okay? They know, they know more of the language and more of the culture than I ever will. But because they don't believe in the supernatural, they look for other ways to explain it. Listen, these people are a dime a dozen. They're all over the place. Listen to what they tell you about Nineveh. In trying to explain how this great revival happened in Nineveh, as I told you, Dan Carlin in Hardcore History says that they were the Nazis of the old world. Even Wikipedia says it was the greatest city in all the world at this time. And they turn. They turn. There's some interesting things that happened right about the same period when we know Jonah ministered. And there are biblical scholars who use these things to try to explain what caused this to happen. It is interesting. During this time, Nineveh experienced two very wide plagues where thousands of people died. They experienced a major earthquake. We know this to be the truth, that Nineveh experienced a giant earthquake and a, a complete solar eclipse during the life of Jonah. And so there are people that say, you see, that's what it was. God really shook them up and made them really want to, you know, make their life right. 
Listen, God can do that kind of thing, and he can use those kinds of things. He can use circumstances to wake us up. Maybe some of your own testimony includes that. But listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 3, I've already referenced this passage once, but let me read to you a different section. Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now listen to this. Do not marvel that I said you must be born again. Paraphrase. Nicodemus, get that shocked look off your face. Don't marvel that I said you got to be born again. Now listen to verse number 8. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You get what Jesus is saying? You got the wind out here blowing, and you don't know what causes it. You don't have that figured out. It's the same way with regeneration. Folks, there's no figuring this thing out. You're not going to figure out the code or the formula for people to put their trust in the Lord Jesus. You're not going to figure that out. That's why it all it is, is we just be faithful to tell. We just be faithful to tell. We just be faithful to point people to Jesus and let him work the miracle. You don't go out there right now and be like, man, what's causing that wind? I wonder why it's blowing. You know, it just happens. And there's no explanation for it. There is no explanation for you and me if you're included in this. For you and me to decide to put our faith in the Lord Jesus. There's no explanation for it. God just chooses in his grace to call. And the question is, has he called you? Or is he calling you now? Now let's see what it looks like when he does. Let's see regeneration evidenced by repentance. Look at it with the people. Verse number five, the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. I see three things here that are very significant to us. This is not a comprehensive list. This is not everything that happens when a person is regenerated, but they're demonstrating their repentance. They're demonstrating it to us. Now we see they believed God. They believed God. They believed God. And they called for a fast. What does that mean? They've been humbled, folks. They believed what they've heard. In their heart, they know, they've trusted, they've heard the truth of God, and they believe. That's the first thing. They put on, they fast, they put on sackcloth and ashes. Now, that's not how you and I express our emotional regret over something. You don't do that in your life today. You don't walk out of here. You know, you don't do your wife dirty or, you know, treat your kids poorly or say bad things about your boss and go out in the fireplace and take sackcloth and put it all over you. I mean, ashes, that is, and put it all over you. You don't do that. But what do you do? I tell you what you do, you, your head bows, you exhale, oh, man, and you think, what's wrong with me? You know, I do the very thing I don't want to do. 
and just as bad. I don't do what I do want to do. I don't want to speak to her that way. What's wrong with me? See, that's how we repent. That's how we do it. They take sackcloth and ashes, but just expressing regret. And it says, from the greatest of them to the least of them. You know what this did? This, this said, hey, we're all the same. It's the great leveler. The gospel is the great leveler. There is no, it doesn't matter, rich, poor, fast, slow, smart, dumb, whatever. It don't matter, okay? It doesn't matter. It's all level. You see that? This is evidencing of a new person. And even more so, we see it in the king. Look at him. So the word reached the king of Nineveh. Now, it's very interesting what happens here. The, the verb in this term, it's not what, what, what is now doing the action is the word. It's not Jonah that reached the king. It's the word. You know what that means? Saved people proclaim. What happened was people heard Jonah. Jonah expressed it after one day. And he's like, I'm out of here. You guys can burn. And he leaves. But the word continues to spread. And it makes its way to the throne room of Nineveh, of this king, this unnamed king who now doesn't mean anything. But in the day, he was top of the line. So the word reaches the king of the Nineveh. He hears it. He hears what has been proclaimed. He hears the preaching. He rose from his throne. Now what happens when a king gets up? When a king gets up, he calls people's head. That's what happens. Look what he does. He rose from his throne. He throws off his robe. Can you imagine what all of his attendants are thinking? Can you get into the situation? Can you see it in your mind's eye? He gets up. I picture purple, a big, like, furry collar. I don't know why, okay? He stands up, and they're all like, he's going to kill somebody. I mean, that's what they do in Nineveh. Listen, you need to understand, these are the most violent people. The only way you're going to compare them is the Nazis of the 1940s. They had perfected the art of terrorism. And what they would do to their enemies would just, I don't, want to, I don't want to describe it here because it'll mess with your brain. He gets up. What does he do? He removes his robe. He covers himself with sackcloth, this, you know, worthless document that, I mean, I'm sorry, worthless garment that, that basically proclaims, I'm nothing it's, it's an act of humility, and he sat in ashes, and that's a different type of humility that I'll describe in just a minute. And he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. Now, here's what he says. By the king of decree, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. I'm going I'm to expl- explain what's happening here in just a minute, but I want to get to the end. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God and let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his personal pronoun hands. See what the king is saying? We've all done wrong. We've all done wrong. Every single one of us. Our hands are filled with violence. 
And we want to turn from that. This is repentance, folks. This is repentance. Let me throw two words out to you, and I'm, I'm running out of time, okay? The first one is humility. Humility. When he puts on sackcloth, this is an act of humility. Now, let me, this is part of repentance. Repentance includes humility. Let me tell you what humility is. Humility is understanding that I am a creature. Do you know what a creature is? One who has been created. This is an act of humility. When he puts on sackcloth, he's saying, I'm nothing. I'm not the king. I'm a creature before the mighty God. But then he expresses contrition. David says, a contrite heart God will not despise. What is contrition? Now this, this is the ashes. This is the ashes, okay? Contrition is not understanding that I am human, a creature. It's understanding that I am sinful. He is owning his own creatureness, and he is owning his own sinfulness. It's absolutely necessary for salvation. It's part of repentance. I am a nobody. I'm not God. I am a sinner, unlike God. Now, we need to understand how this process of repentance works. Listen, what I want to share with you now is so important. I need, I need all, everybody to tune in right now. Because we misunderstand repentance, and we think that this is a once and done. That when we heard the gospel, and we were convicted of our sin, and we repented before the Lord, so we turned from our own sinfulness and said, God, I don't want to sin anymore. I don't want to sin anymore. We think that's a once and done. I did it. I did it when I was 13, and so I'm good, right? Right? I'm good, right? 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 No. No. Repentance is not a once and done thing that you do. If you're a new creature, it is now your disposition. What does that mean? It means it's what you are characterized by. The gospel is an everyday decision. Every day, every day, regenerated people walk through the gospel. Every day. Let me show it to you. I I knew of no better word to use but process, and I don't like the word process, okay, because it kind of makes it into a formula, but I didn't know what else to call it. Put it up on the screen for me. Let let me look at look at what happens here in the king's life and in the and in the people's lives, and I hope your life. Here's what happens. There is an understanding. I've heard the word of God. John 17, 17. Jesus says, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. They heard the preaching. They heard what Nineveh said. It starts there. We hear the word of God. Romans says that that faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. We hear the word of God. This is what happened to this king. He then has godly sorrow over his sin. 
2 Corinthians chapter 7 describes a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. The king put on sackcloth and ashes. He had sorrow over his sin. And then we see as he progressed, I hate to use that word because it all happens at once, okay? But he hates that sin. He hates it. He says, we've sinned before a mighty God. So he hates that sin. Listen to what Romans 8.13 says. 8.13 says this. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live according to the Spirit, you kill the deeds of the body. The old King James says you mortify them. I like that. You know what it means? It means I hate sin. Believers, the gospel is played out in your life all day. It's not, it's, not a, you know, it's not a hand grenade you throw into your life at 13. Kaboosh, okay, you're good, for, you're good for all eternity. You're good for all eternity. Don't you worry. You're going to heaven. No. A, a regenerated believer is experiencing this every single day, every day, hating sin. And as I hate sin, I trust God's mercy. You see what the king said in verse number 10? Who knows God may turn and relent from, and from his fierce anger so that we may not perish, trusting his mercy and then following him as Lord. Listen, this is, I, I trust that you're in Christ today. And if you are, then you made that decision. If you're in Christ today, you made that decision. You heard the word of God. You had sorrow over your own sin. You hated it, as a matter of fact. You hated it. But he didn't stop there. You trusted God's mercy and said, Jesus, be my Savior and Lord. Listen, I want, I want to tell you something, and this might bother you. To hear one of your pastors say this, I walked through that process multiple times. I wish I could say a month, but that would be not really accurate. A week. You might be like, really? A day. Yeah. Sometimes in an hour. So see, the gospel is not inoculation. It's not, you know, there, now you're inoculated from hell. Don't worry. It's not what it is. It's a whole new operation. It's, it's, I'm a new creature now. And so I come back to the cross all the time. I come back to Jesus at the cross all the time in his resurrection, and I repent over that. It's just, it's like wash and rewash, you know, over and over and over. Is that you? So see, God doesn't look at you as his child and say, I demand perfect obedience. 1 John 1 says, if you claim to be out without sin, you're a liar. You're a liar. And, and the gospel, the Christ is not in you. So he's not demanding perfect obedience, but he is demanding a real heart towards obedience. And we run through this cycle. We run through this cycle, this gospel cycle. See, the gospel's played out in our lives all the time. We run through it until repentance is no longer necessary. You know when that happens? 
when you get a brand new existence with God, when you go to be with him for eternity, and this is what God offers you, that's when repentance is no longer necessary. Because now we just see dimly. But then, oh, then we'll know fully. So see, this gospel concept is in our lives. This is what the cross of Jesus is. Don't cheapen our Lord's death. I heard John MacArthur say this, and I got a laugh out of it. He said, um, this person that came up to him after church one time and, and said, Dr. MacArthur, I, I, I don't know what to do. The, the only reason that I ever got saved is because I didn't want to go to hell. And Pastor MacArthur says, well, that's a pretty good start. That's a good start. And maybe that's why you got saved. It certainly was a big part of my decision when I got saved. But as you live out this gospel in your life, you realize more and more and more and more and more that hell is just, it's just giving man what he's always wanted, separation from God. But the gospel deals with our sin. Okay, just a couple of things for you to take with you in two minutes, okay? These are down at the bottom. So let's apply this for a little bit, okay? Give them the rest of the blanks for me, would you? Because people get stressed about that. There you go. Um, all right, so application, all right? Let's, 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 let's kind of nail this down. First of all, listen, there is much to learn from rookie repentance. That's what I'm calling what the king did. He's rookie repentance. He doesn't know any better. He's just like, okay, don't give any food or water to the animals. Maybe that's what God wants, okay? And, and you guys, put on sackcloth and I Get some sackcloth, throw it on that cow. It's rookie repentance, okay? It's rookie repentance. I suspect if, you, if he grew in Christ and you found him 10, 15 years later, I don't know that he's doing all that. You know, it reminds me of Revelation where it says, return to your first love. Listen, listen, don't throw blankets on new believers who start making decisions. You got to, listen, now, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do that. Re- just relax. You don't, you don't need to be there all the time. You don't need to do that. Just, just take a chill pill, man. Listen, rookie repentance, it's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet. I remember when I first got saved, I mean, there were, I was like, I'm going to read my Bible every single morning for like three hours. I'm going to do it. I'm glad that somebody came up to me and said, listen, you don't have to do that, low. Just relax. Take a chill pill. Relax, man. Just sit back like the rest of us and just enjoy the fact that you're going to go to heaven and you don't have to worry about nothing. There's a lot we can learn here from this rookie repentance. Secondly, Godly repentance is initiated by God. He does this. It's fueled by his words. We've got to have his word in our lives. And it's fanned by our response. When we respond to what God gives us, oh, that's when it happens. And just lastly, and then I'll close that. Our repentance never was or is a work of mankind. You don't produce this. It never was that. Real repentance. You can decide to be moral. You can walk in and say, that's it. I'm not going to kill anymore. 
Okay? You could decide to be moral, but that's not repentance. Repentance is always a work of God. Because repentance is, I'm turning away from my sin that wrongs God, and I'm turning to him and saying, God, I want to obey you. I want to obey you. See, that's not going to be a better person. I'm not going to steal or murder or whatever it might be. It's always a work of God, not of man. And it's the extension of his saving work that goes on and on and on and on and on and on in our lives. Listen, we've got to know what this is. We've got to know what repentance is because without it, we're not preaching the gospel. And I don't want to be guilty of that. And without it, we're not living the gospel. What about you today? Maybe this morning God has convicted your heart and you've realized, you know what? I have wronged a holy God. I've wronged him. My life is a wrong to him. I deserve separation from him forever. But I look to what Jesus did for me. I don't fully understand it. I don't quite get it yet, but I will. For right now I'm believing that Jesus died for my sins, that he took the penalty for me. And I'm going to put my trust in that, no longer in me, in what he did. I mean, after all, he rose from the dead. He conquered death. So he's God. So God, as best as I'm able right now, I don't fully understand all this, but as best as I'm able, I want you to be my Lord and God. Be my Savior. Be my leader. I'm yours. If that's your heart today, listen, I got news for you. You've caused a celebration in heaven because the Bible says when one sinner repents, there's a celebration in the presence of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Father, I pray that you would just continue to just nail these truths into our heart, Lord. Father, I pray for anybody here today that needs to put their trust in you for real. Oh, they might know the facts. They might know the story. They might know the events. But today you've done a work in their heart, Lord. They've been reborn in their gut today. Their spirit's been made new. God, we thank you for that. Thank you for your grace, Lord. For those who are in Christ that need to live out this daily repentance, Father, I pray that we would leave here ready to do just that. And now we understand what it is that you are calling us to in the gospel, to live that out every day, every day, looking to what you did to bring us life. Thank you for this account, Lord. Thank you for this revival. Bring one in our midst, we pray in Jesus' name.